Hi, I'm Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the seventh edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. Today, our topic is 2007 Legal Technology in Review. I guess, Jim, the first subject we probably ought to cover is VISTA, which has dominated a lot of legal arguments this year. It came out in early 2007 to notoriously mixed review. They are still making changes to the kernel, and as I understand it, Service Pack 1 is not due to be released for several months yet. So the question that I've heard a lot, and I expect you have too, is should I get VISTA? Generally speaking, our answer has been no. In fact, I read in the last couple of weeks a number of studies on the speed of VISTA, and they said no matter what you run VISTA on and run XP on, XP is always faster and by a considerable margin. So I don't know why you would want to trade in a fast horse for a slower horse that apparently stumbles a lot. So I think one of the big issues, and I think you've mentioned this in some of your articles, uh, Jim, is the older software packages, which won't, won't run on Vista anyway, which is a point that everybody needs to think about if they are planning to upgrade. But basically, I don't think it's a very good idea. If you're going to do it, for gosh sakes, buy more memory than Microsoft says is required. But if you have the choice, I would still order machines with XP. It doesn't necessarily come up, especially if you order online, it doesn't come up as a default, but you can generally go ahead and order XP even though you might not see it as the default way of ordering. And that's what I'd recommend. You might have a more mixed view, Jim. I'm not sure. Oh, I, I think that at some point, if you really like to tinker with things, and that's not an annoyance to getting your work done, you might consider it for the experience. But uh, uh, I noted that uh, John Dvorak uh, recently wrote in PC Magazine a column entitled The Vista Death Watch, where he asked the question, is this really going to be the uh, Windows ME of 2007? <laughs> Oh, absolutely, it might be. And, and I'm sure you saw recently there was an article uh, about Microsoft and whether Microsoft itself may be in trouble, that there are some companies which are going to Google's uh, office suite or at least thinking about it, and they included three of the Fortune 100. So even Microsoft itself looks like it might be endangered, and certainly Vista hasn't done it any good. Well, it's just disappointing all in all, and, and I think that we've, we're learning here that the operating system needs to run, be lean and mean and just run the machine. Absolutely. So I think that's one, something we'll be uh, – I think I'm telling my people, basically, you won't be unhappy now if you stick with Windows XP. A couple of years down the road, if you buy a new computer with XP, they may get all the bugs ironed out, but I wouldn't bet my day-to-day -day law practice on it right now. Uh, absolutely not. On the other hand, a uh, product that I'm really happy with that is popping up in more and more law offices is Adobe Acrobat. Adobe Acrobat 8.0 Professional seems to be gaining more and more acceptance, and I think I'm counting this as a trend of, of this year just because a few years ago when, when we went to electronic filing in our local federal courts, one of my big questions, uh, almost as big as whether I want Vista or not, one of my big questions then was, what can I buy for an alternative to Adobe Acrobat? And of course, there are several alternatives that are good PDF printers. You can, with WordPerfect, print directly to PDF, and now even Word has a, a separate downloadable to allow printing to PDF. But people are learning that all of the great features in Adobe Acrobat Professional 8, some of which even seem to be made for lawyers like redaction, uh, 
good reduction that works, and bait stamping are really making this a staple of the modern law office. And so while you can certainly get away and create PDFs with the numerous tools, Adobe Acrobat is one tool that creates PDFs, searches PDFs, OCRs, scan documents, and does a whole host of things. seems to be catching on a lot. It really does, and we should mention that David Masters, who is often called Mr. Acrobat, uh, David Masters' new book on Acrobat for Lawyers is going to be published by the ABA in the beginning of 2008, so that's really a good reference tool to look for. And when when we post our uh, materials, I'm going to include a link to a uh, blog post from Adobe's Rick Borstein, 30 Dirty Tricks for Adobe Acrobat, some little shortcuts that I think our, our listeners will find useful. Way cool, and we, we should remind everyone that we do have the show notes that we, we publish each time, and there's a lot of websites we, we might be referencing, particularly, I think, in, in this particular segment, uh, so you will be able to find those online. Let me mention ED a little bit. That obviously is my particular forte. Uh, this year has been something of a watershed because it's the first year since the new rules were enacted, uh, December 1st of 2007. We also had the new style rules. And although they're called style rules, I want to encourage anybody who might be listening to absolutely get those new style rules because they're not just style. There's a little bit of additional explanation and there's also some renumbering. So before you get it wrong in a brief, it would be a good idea to be working from the new rules. Also want to mention that this year I launched my own blog, Ride the Lightning, uh, on computer forensics, and it's kind of a lighthearted look. Not always, but sometimes there's a lot of humor in our business, that's for sure. My very first blog post was about sex with aliens, which was a real case that we had. It's a great job to be paid to do around here because there's so much entertainment value in it. So if anybody's interested in that one, that's great. We'll put the we'll put the uh, URL up for that. Another blog that Jim and I are really fond of is the EDD Update blog. And this is Electronic Data Discovery News and Analysis, produced by an extremely prestigious panel of EDD experts and legal technology commentators. It's a joint project of Law Technology News and Law.com legal technology. Uh, it includes Craig Ball, who, as anybody who knows John and I knows, that's one of our very favorite people in the world. And anything Craig Ball has to say about ED is always worth listening to. Also, I think you've mentioned in one of your papers, Jim, and I like this too, the guidelines for discovery of electronically stored information from the United States District Court for the District of Kansas. This is a three-page PDF. It's a great summary of counsel's obligations with respect to EDD. And since it's so short, I mean, it's really worth your time to take a look at that. So there, there are some of the developments. I guess the last one I would want to mention is sanctions. And sanctions have become absolutely legion this year. Uh, the number of court cases awarding sanctions, I've never seen anything like it. Judges are very pissed off with anything that looks like spoliation and anything that looks like reckless disregard of an attorney's duties with respect to EDD. So it is time for everybody to do their homework and know what they're doing when it comes to electronic discovery. I think we're going to see this being talked about in legal technology circles for years and years to come, and I'm hoping for that day when we no longer refer to it as electronic discovery and just call it discovery. Once again. But I think one of the trends that I'm seeing a lot of is online backup, and so I wanted to address a few comments to the online backup. My employer, the Oklahoma Bar Association, recently vetted and endorsed a particular online backup 
member benefit for our members, a company called Corvault. I know that uh, the Illinois bar has done that and the New York bar has done that with different vendors. And I guess my main point is that we are relying more and more on our computers to produce more and more data. And so the idea, especially for small firms, that we're going to back up once a week or maybe every other week or we're going to plan to back up once a week, but maybe we only do it every month, is just really too scary for words at this point. If you are putting in a good hard day and your staff is too, at the end of the day, you need to back up your data. And the online services really provide an excellent way to do that. I know a lot of lawyers are concerned and I, about the ethics of allowing a third party to store your data. And, and certainly I would want any lawyer to carefully check out the propriety of the arrangement and whether your data is really going to be safe and secure, and more importantly, whether you're dealing with a vendor who's going to be around when you need to restore your backup. Larger law firms can still use the backup tapes. They have IT departments that know how to test these and do good product searches, but small firms, uh, we're really discouraging their backup procedures by use of tapes right now, suggesting they, they look at online backup for the daily, and they look at portable hard drives that they can carry out and swap out regularly for the, uh, the the overall backup or the longer backup. But to, even if you just back up your work every night and then you carry home a drive at the end of the week, that leaves you uh, much more protect, protected than in uh, previous backup situations. One of the things I would mention is if you're going to use an, an online backup provider, make sure there that you do religiously do periodic tests for stores. And we've actually seen a case in which a law firm went down and uh, the backup was not able to be restored, and they had not done the periodic test restores. So you should be as careful about doing that as you would if you were backing up on your own premises with your own equipment. Absolutely. Test restores are one of the most omitted and most important part of the data backup and recovery process. Absolutely, they are. And here is a, a very small blurb, but very significant, of course, to you and I, Jim, and that is Law Technology Today, a new e-zine, was launched in 2007 by the ABA Law Practice Management section. Uh, like its sister publication, Law Practice Today, it's a free publication, and we will, of course, put in the show notes where you can go to sign up uh, to receive it electronically. But it's a terrific way to focus simply on technology if that's one of your interests, rather than on the broader aspects of law practice management. So these two have become very complementary, and of course Jim and I are frequently in law technology today because we have propellers on our heads and pocket protectors, right Jim? That's right. <laughs> uh, some of our listeners may think that's a little puzzling to mention that since they are listening to it from the link from Law Technology Today, but some others download this from iTunes, and I've even heard of people that are getting this shared in other methods. So uh, we wanted to make sure that you knew about this great e-zine. And, of course, if I had to do a second of shameless self-promotion, I would say that our podcast, the Digital Edge Loggers and Technology, at least in mine and Sharon's world, is one of the important developments of the year 2007. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun with it. Sharon is, too. I hope our listeners are enjoying it as well. Uh, and, and enough of the self-promotion, but maybe not, because my next item is the American Bar Association Journal's most recent issue in which they mentioned the blog 100, and that was their cover story. Uh, Jim Calloway's Law Practice Tips was in that top 100 of the most influential legal blogs. So congratulations, Jim. 
Well, thanks. I really appreciate that. There's still an online kind of popularity contest that's going on where people can vote for their favorites. But more importantly is the diverse group of blogs that have been selected here. I know that when I looked at it, there were, I thought I was really up on the blogosphere, and there were several blogs that I had never heard of or never visited. So it's interesting to see the number of different writers and the number of different voices that Web 2.0 is allowing uh, us to uh, promote today. It, it really was a, an interesting list, and you know, I heard a lot of people fussing and hemming and hawing over who was picked and who wasn't picked, and uh, I don't think it's too big a deal. It, it's it's just the opinion of the ABA journal editors, but it was interesting to see the list. It is a little eclectic, but it was a fascinating list, uh, and I was not offended that my blog wasn't there because, of course, my blog is brand new, and, and maybe another year they'll think of putting my blog there. But there, it was a very good list, and I don't think anybody – it's just like picking out the 100, and, and you and I have seen this on ABA Solo Says lists are you know, the 100 best uh, rock and roll songs. Uh, it really can't be done. It's everybody's own opinion. So it was an interesting list, and you should check out some of the blogs. I think we enjoy top 100 lists and top 10 lists. Uh, here around in my part of the world, they haven't heard much about the Blog 100, but the BSC, uh, the bowl championship poll of football season, has certainly been something that we uh, dispute around here greatly. <laughs> <laughs> well, from a lady who's never watched a football game, you enjoy it out there, guys. <laughs> well, Sharon, I'm sorry you confessed that great moral failing to the world, but maybe we'll uh, work through that at some point. <laughs> Well, I get to read a lot of books while you all are watching pigskin thrown around by a bunch of overdeveloped pictorial guys. <laughs> uh, Web 2.0 is an interesting phenomenon. I wish that we'd that a different name had been attached to that because you you, you talk about Web 2.0 and people get hung up in definitions and whatever. But I just generally say that the web is really changing in that anybody can now post their content to the web, and many people have been garnering their 15 minutes or 15 seconds of fame from everything from blog posts to YouTube videos uh, to uh, MySpace pages, and there's just lots of ways that people can express themselves. And so I think this trend towards micro-publishing, where people publish to the web for a small audience because the economics justify it when a lot of these tools are virtually free, uh, is a pretty significant trend, and I think we're going to see more of that. My main Web 2.0 point has always been that you should talk to your clients about what they're posting to the web, particularly uh, during the middle of their family law case or other dispute in which you're handling. Yeah, very good point, Jim. Yeah, I, this is my point to, to or this is my juncture to head to social networking, which has been, I think, a big phenomenon in two, 2007. We've seen a lot of articles written about it. Are you on LinkedIn, Facebook, MySpace, any of those, Jim? I have a uh, just within the last few days, joined Facebook and have had a LinkedIn account for some time, but I've noticed that in the last several months it's getting a lot of activity where it hadn't for some time. It, it's been kind of fascinating to me. You know, so many people were, were writing about it that I finally decided I had to join the, the clue. And I, I got to tell you, I am so not a fan of all of this. I, I have yet to see the value in it, and I'd love to hear from listeners who find value in it because it just hasn't work that I've seen, but from our perspective, from 
working with computer forensics, MySpace is just a house of horrors. Uh, the first place the police go <laughs> in all of our cases are to look for people's MySpace pages because they put the most astonishing things about their drug use and other illegal activities on their MySpace page. So in the computer forensics world, MySpace and to a lesser extent Facebook has a really, really bad reputation. Now, I set up a MySpace page because of my computer forensics uh, work because I needed to be able to get in to be able to see other things. But at the suggestion of friends, I joined LinkedIn and I joined Facebook. Uh, you know, I, it's it's been strange. In Facebook, people can poke you, and I've been poked. If they have a third-party application that's a little bent and twisted, they can also grope you, and I've been groped, which I sort of resent, by friends no less. I've gotten movie quizzes from people. I've gotten what-do-you-really-think-of-me kind of surveys. I've had somebody throw a sheep at me on Facebook. And you know, I have a real problem tying this into anything that's potentially professionally productive. I haven't seen anyone, and as you know, Jim, on the ABA solo says list, a number of people kind of joined Facebook all at once. And from where I sit, I haven't seen a lot of benefit to it. They say they're having a lot of fun, which is fine, but if time is limited, you want to put your professional endeavors in something that's going to give you some kind of payout and in the fairly short term. And I just haven't seen it in these social networking sites. They're very, very popular, and certainly for, for personal, not professional reasons, there are many personal reasons why some adults want to participate in them. But I have not yet seen any professional benefit to it, and I'd be interested to see whether you have, Jim. Well, I, too, would like to hear from some of our readers, uh, uh, our listeners, and, and maybe they can convince me. But, but I'm not a fan either, and yet I would say that, that you and I both nurture real relationships and, and have a lot of friends all across the country and perhaps the world, in your case, that we keep in contact with through the Internet. So, so I understand how it could work. I think my problem is, is the same as yours in that I'm just – too time challenged to want to fool around with most of, of the amusing aspects of these social networking sites. Uh, and so, you know, I still read my friends' blogs. I still hope people read mine. I, you know, we do the podcast because I think this is a useful tool for people. I, I will tell you the Texas Bar has, has opened a set a social networking aspect just for Texas lawyers. And I can see how that, in terms of referral of cases and whatever, might have some business utility. But but uh, I, I went ahead and tried it just because, Sharon, let's face it, we're the uh, uh, cutting-edge kind of people, and so if, if a lot of people tell us it's great and cutting-edge, uh, we, we want to know about it. But uh, I, I just don't have enough time to spend on the web, I guess, in, in that kind of context. Well, we're agreed on that one. Okay. But again, you Facebook uh, fans can uh, feel free to uh, give us your opinion, and, and we may just be uh, of the wrong generation for social networking sites. <laughs> we're not old, Jim. That's we're, right. We're just vintage. <laughs> uh, one thing that's not necessarily about technology, but it created quite a stir this year, and it's a subject of special interest for me, is the billable hour. And the cover story of the August 2007 ABA Journal was The Billable Hour Must Die, written by famed lawyer novelist Scott Turow. And I enjoyed reading Turow's comments about the billable hour. I uh, 
thought that he had a phrase I found very significant. He ta- talks about the billable hour in terms of dollars times hours and how it sounds like a formula for fairness, but in fact it is really a formula as a it's a prison because when you only use dollars times hours, then there's only three ways to make money, higher rates, longer hours, or more leverage. That means hiring more people to work under you. So I would encourage all of you, if you haven't had a chance to read that article, to read that article because it's very thought-provoking, and and it is about technology in that the point of a lot of this technology is to allow us to do things faster and easier, in some cases more automatically. And so if you can only charge by the time you actually invest, some of your uses technology are not going to have the benefit that you hope to. That's certainly very true, and, I, and I've been watching this debate with great interest. Uh, not sure quite where I come down. I certainly don't think the bill, the, out, the billable hour is is here to stay. It's clearly uh, it's being eroded and nibbled at from all directions, and lawyers are finding way to to hook up time and value together in a way the client can appreciate, and clients are clearly grateful for that move. And I believe, don't you have a new book coming out, Jim? We're trying to finish up the book, Sharon, as you well know. Uh, but uh, I'm, we, just, I'm just putting you publicly on the hot seat here. Go on record right. and tell me when it's going to be done. Well, I'm, uh, it'll certainly be published during the year 2008. Is that sliding off the hot seat too much? Uh, <laughs> I'll let you have the easy ride here. <laughs> we'll go offline later. <laughs> but But look forward to that book. You want to tell them just slightly what it's about, Jim? Uh, we're going to go into more actual stories from law firms that have implemented these these practices in a great part or in limited part and actually go through case studies with various law firms and that's why it's been so time consuming to fit the uh, author schedule with the diff- different law firms and law firm managers but uh, I found some pretty interesting things I've got two or three people left on my call list and then hopefully we'll get that wrapped up and tell, very t- soon. And tell them about your co-author. Mark Robertson, yep. uh, f- former chair of the uh, uh, ABA Law Practice Management section and Oklahoma City Lawyer Extraordinaire is going to co-author this one with me as well. So we're looking forward to that one in 2008. So there's one to look forward to. I also want to say a word about ABA Tech Show 2007, which was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, we had the debut of the concierge booth, which was wildly popular with our audiences. You could go up and get an answer to almost any question under the sun, which was great. It was my first year to be on the 60 sites and 60 Minutes panel, and that was a lot of fun. For the first time, we had an all-female panel, which was great. You rock girls. It was super. Uh, And that one is also online, and we'll make sure we give you the URL for 60 Sites in 60 Minutes if you'd like to take a look at that. And having had such a wonderful year at Tech Show, which is near and dear to both Jim and I because we've both served as past Tech Show chairs, Tech Show is like a ship that you love after you've captained her. You never want anything bad to happen to her ever again, and you're very proud to ever have been in command. Uh, so we're looking forward to this year under the chairmanship of Tom Mile. And Tom, in fact, will be our guest for our next podcast next month. So be be sure and look for that, and he'll tell us what's coming. In the meantime, of course, you need to register. Uh, Tech Show this year will be held at the Chicago Hilton, March 13 through 15. So we'll look forward to seeing everybody there. You can register at www.techshow.com. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Ms. Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy.